1: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Swinney, along with my co-host, Bonnie Quinn.
0: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news.
1: Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, and on Bloomberg.com.
0: Very excited to bring in our next guest. Bruce Greenwald is Professor Emeritus at Columbia Business School. He is, of course, famous for his seminal book on value investing. He's been teaching so many thousands of students about value investing during his days at Columbia over the past several decades. Uh, me being one of them, I remember very <laughs> difficult days poring over the book of case studies that Bruce Greenwald <laughs> used to hand out, but excited that he's back on for a fully updated edition of the seminal book, Value Investing from Graham to Buffett and Beyond. So Bruce, welcome. Very great to have you on the program. It's been a rough decade for value investing, of course, but there was a little bit of talk recently that we might be heading into the value cycle again. What did you make of all of that?
2: I, look, I think, let me first say, Vani, it's a real pleasure to talk to you too after so many years. Mm, exactly. <laughs> the fact of the matter is that I think in contrast to what happened in the tech boom at the end of the 90s, there are fundamental changes in the economy that have taken place. So even though the basic value principles are still going to be there, which is you want to look intelligently for opportunities where you're more likely to be better positioned than the other side of the trade. You want to know the value of what you're buying, and you want to be disciplined. The changes in the world means you're going to have to apply them differently. And I think if value investors don't adapt, there may be short periods when they do well, but I don't think for the long term they're, the, they're going to have the kinds of uh, records that they historically had.
1: So Professor, what types of adaptations do you think uh, investors should take to the extent that they really want to pursue value investing?
2: Well, okay. so let's actually start with just what it is that's changed so you have an idea of what you're adapting to. And there are two dominant trends in the global economy that affect investors. The first is manufacturing is dying and we're becoming a service economy which means we're going from big centralized manufacturing facilities to very dispersed service facilities. And the second thing is, and this really amounts to the same thing, tech has basically disaggregated organizations. So you see it in the way that people work separately, which is the gig economy, but you also see it in the way in which organizations are separated out. So in the old days, if you were doing IT, IBM did everything. If you look at it today, you know, Microsoft does the operating system and basic functions. Oracle does the databases. Google does search. Intel does only the CPU chips. And Facebook does the interactions. So you're really going from large centralized organizations to really very decentralized one. And that has three absolutely critical consequences. The first is that... Productivity growth is currently much harder on a decentralized basis. So going forward, you're not going to see the rate of improvement in productivity that you saw in the past. Although where big organizations like McDonald's uh, in the U.S. learn to do it, we're going to do probably in the U.S. better than other people. Second thing is when people work individually, they get paid for what they do. They don't get paid the average wage. And that means that the distribution of income becomes much, much more unequal, and that's going to continue. And I think the third thing, which is really what's crucial for value investors, is that you are moving from broad global markets, the GMs, the GEs of the world, to niche local markets. And big global markets are competitive. Small niche markets, I mean, for example, if you're going to be viable at 1% market share, you're never going to keep anybody out of those big global markets. Whereas small local markets are markets in which dominant competitors can enjoy barriers to entry based on economies of scale. And once that happens, once you've got these, what Buffett refers to as franchise businesses, the whole investment world changes. So you have high returns on investment capital, so capital allocation can be hugely value-creating as well as value-destructive. You benefit from organic growth in revenue. I mean, if you're in a competitive market and revenue grows organically, temporarily profits may go up, but then everybody enters, and they just divide the business more finely, and the profits go away. And the same thing happens with The benefit of tech-based margin growth. You know, as productivity goes up in a competitive market, everybody rushes in, but if you benefit from barriers to entry, you get to enjoy that. And you see that, by the way, in what's happened to profits. In the early, in the late 80s, early 90s, profits were 8 to 9 percent of national income. Today, they're 12 to 13 percent or higher, and they're probably going up. But here is the critical thing. Old fashioned asset based value investing is not going to do it for you. It's too small a part of the overall picture. But assets aren't that important in a world where you've got barriers to entry and franchise businesses. And they're, by the way, where you've got services and intangible assets, they're much harder to measure. So I think the first thing investors have to do is understand franchise businesses.
0: Interesting. Bruce, in we're, we're almost out of time, but I do want to get in one more question. If you talk to the likes of Joel Greenblatt or Richard Basina or Bill Miller, you'll come away with a very different style of value investing A piece. Well, what distinguishes all of these different styles of value investing?
2: Well, I don't think that uh, they are, as I say, there are three fundamental things that they all do. I think that, uh, you know, the crucial difference between traditional value investors in them is that they've actually adapted much better. That they understand that growth creates value in this world. And you can't invest and look for value without understanding how to put value on growth. And I think that is the single overwhelming style difference. And I think, frankly, the future lies with the Bill Millers and the Joel Greenblatt's of the world. And in fact, what the book is really about is about adapting to this new environment where all of a sudden the historical distinction between growth investing, what you would call varieties of value investing, and traditional sort of cigar butt (laughs) asset has gone away. Amazing. Bruce,
1: thank you uh, so much for joining us there, Bruce. Bruce Greenwald, Professor Emeritus at Columbia Business School, Chairman of the Paradigm Capital Management and Senior Advisor at First Eagle Investment Manager, and, of course, author of the book, Value Investing, From Graham to Buffett. And beyond, We always appreciate listening to uh, the thoughts of uh, Professor Greenwald. I think about value investing. It's really been challenging uh, in this market where growth uh, has really been the dominant theme really for a couple of decades right now.
3: Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you.
0: And it is time now to take a look at the credit markets and the, maybe the markets more broadly. Let's bring in Mike Buchanan, Deputy Chief Investment Officer of Western Asset Management. I say the credit markets because they're top of mind today, Mike. What with AMC being in a little bit of trouble, we know that the movie theatres have already tapped all the credit that possibly is available to them, except for private uh, individuals that are looking to do that. And um, just curious as to where you see the credit markets right now.
4: Well, there, there's no question, and, and by the way, uh, Bonnie and, and Paul, thank you for uh, having me on. Um, there's no no question that um, there is still stress in the credit markets. You mentioned AMC. Um, there's a lot of uh, companies, there's a lot of industries uh, that have done pretty much everything they possibly could to survive to this point. Um, some aren't going to make it, and you actually see that in the default numbers. Um, I think many Uh, Because the capital market's up so quickly back in late March and early uh, April, uh, some were able to access that rescue financing. And even though they paid dearly for doing that, um, I think it's going to be a wise move on their part and um, will uh, at at least minimize uh, how many of these companies uh, actually had to uh, ultimately restructure or, or file. So. Um, I think the credit markets right now, there's no question that uh, some of the rally that we were expecting to occur in 2021, some of that has been pulled forward into 2020, uh, just with clarity on the vaccine. Um, I think everyone's expecting, as we are, a a bounce in growth, a bounce in earnings. Um, But that being said, I still think the credit markets uh, have room for performance uh, as we move forward over the next few quarters. Probably going to be more of a focus on income, focus on carry trade versus what we've seen over the last two or three quarters, which has really been you know, about capital appreciation and spread tightening. I think the, the magnitude of that spread tightening is probably behind us, but, but still opportunity um, in fixed income risk, risk sectors uh, broadly and um, in particular in credit. So, Mike, you talked about some of the
1: performance maybe being uh, brought forward a little bit here in 2020. Let's talk about high yield. Is there any value left in high yield? It's amazing to me, you know, how well that market has performed given some of the potential credit risks out there that are are quite likely, you know, even going well into 2021.
4: Yeah, it is surprising. I mean, if you just think about where we were uh, in the depths of March and into early April and. You know, now high yield's up over 6% year-to-date. Um, but I would say this. There, there's a lot of disparity in high yield. Um, if you look at, you know, just even by rating category, double uh, B high quality is, is doing very well, you know, up 9.5%. Triple uh, C's, uh, you know, just think of the lowest quality within high yield, uh, just up over a little, over 4% year-to-date. And then take that even further, um, by industry, energy, is negative still 2% year-to-date. Um, so there is a lot of disparity within the high-yield market. And, yes, we do still think there are opportunity. I think it's, um, you know, again, if you go back to late March and early April, it was really just get risk in high-yield. Uh, clearly the downside had overshot, and you just want to capitalize on that trade. I think going forward you're going to see um, just just a, a lot more uh, disparity or You know, just different markets outperforming and different markets underperforming. So I think it's really going to end up being, you know, you got to pick the right credits, you got to pick the right industries, really focus on bottom-up, disciplined fundamental research. Um, So I I do think that's there's opportunity there. But again, I I don't think it's going to be as obvious. And I think it's going to take a little more work to identify those trades.
0: That said, we're not getting any new stimulus that we know of yet. I mean, maybe it will happen, but we don't know how that will impact businesses. Surely there's going to be another round of bankruptcies, Mike.
4: Um, I I do think, I mean, I don't think there's going to be an elevated spike of bankruptcies. Um, I, I think we know, or at least have a reasonable idea of which companies are on the verge of having to file. Um, if you look at trading levels, I think the market does a pretty good job of identifying those credits and they tend to trade at very stressed or distressed prices. Um, I, ol- I think the only way that we would get um, a, sort of a new flare up, if you will, or another round of defaults or bankruptcies is if we had disappointment on the vaccine. I think between now and when we expect the vaccine to uh, make its way into the broad population, let's call that maybe over the next two quarters, um, I think the market is, is, is expecting that. I think the liquidity in, on most of the balance sheets of companies that, that are in the high-yield market is sufficient to get to that point. However, if, again, if we had disappointment, And, um, you know, that vaccine wasn't as successful or the vaccines aren't as successful. And this extends into the latter part of 2021. I do think then, you know, you're you're going to see some more vulnerabilities. You're going to see some of these at-risk sectors and at-risk companies uh, either have to get another round of secured financing uh, or perhaps, as you alluded to, um, have to to restructure. But I, I don't think that's in our base case.
1: Hey, Mike, what's, uh, what's your thoughts on uh, and, uh, Janet Yellen as uh, Biden's Treasury Secretary uh, nominee?
4: Yeah, I think that was a, a wise choice, um, definitely calming to the markets. Um, you know, you even saw uh, Larry Kudlow comment on that, and, you know, he's one of the few <laughs> from the uh, Trump administration to say anything. But clearly, I mean, Janet Yellen, you know, sensible views on the economy as a former Fed chair, um, you know, I think there's a certain level of comfort in the market, knowing that she understands the cohesion that's necessary between between Fed and, and White House policy. Um, so, I think that was a wise choice, and I think definitely um, was was calming to the markets.
0: So, Mike, what will you be looking at now through year end? Are we going to see this uh, Santa Claus rally continue?
4: Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the new issue volume that um, in, in both the investment grade market and the high yield market, you know, those are two records. There's just an extraordinary amount of new issuance. Um, now, a lot of that was for refinancing, which I think is is a good thing if you're a lender um, and you want to uh, classify new issuance into uh, something that's either bondholder friendly or bondholder not friendly. We'd obviously rather see more friendly purposes, which we would call refinancing is definitely a you know friend, friendly use of proceeds. Um, but clearly you're going to see a slowdown in new issue volume over the next couple weeks. Um, money continues to come into these markets. Uh, both investment grade and high yield have seen uh, you know an extraordinary amount of, of flows into both institutional as well as retail funds. Right. So you know good technical backdrop from that perspective. More money continuing to come in. Uh, you know, less new issue should result in at least stable spreads and stable markets, in my opinion. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for
1: joining us. Uh, We really appreciate your thoughts. Mike Buchanan, Deputy Chief Investment Officer for Western Asset Management, based out in Pasadena, California, uh, really giving us uh, their thoughts on the fixed income markets. Again, new issuance, all-time high.
0: Well we have seen several shots now of nurses, critical care and nurses getting their first Pfizer-BioNTech shots So the first kind of yep. vaccines are out there Let's get straight to Bob Langreth, who is a Bloomberg healthcare reporter here for us on this rollout So deaths are approaching 300,000 and continuing to rise, Bob How fast can the distribution network get this vaccine out to where it needs to be?
5: Oh yeah no this is going to take a while this is a long slow process and you mentioned the deaths approaching 300,000 unfortunately those deaths are going to continue uh, to increase because many of them are essentially you know they're based on people that have already been infected weeks ago so so the numbers are going to continue to to to, to go to to Go up to go up in the terms of the deaths for a few weeks because the number uh, of, of vaccines that are available, you know, that's just not going to make, you know, big impact on deaths for a while to come. But it's very important to get this rollout going, absolutely. And the people that are being vaccinated now are, uh, you know, Healthcare workers and then the nursing home residents, so a small fraction of the population. Those are kind of the priority uh, people that have been decided that they'll get it first because you know, they're on the front lines and in terms of the healthcare workers. And then the nursing home residents obviously have some of the highest uh, death rates and account for a large percentage of the uh, death toll in the United States. And so right now, there's, in this initial wave, there's only 2.9 million doses uh, available. So that's a very small fraction of even healthcare workers uh, and on. Uh, Uh, nursing home residents, and then the next week there's going to be more, and the week after that's going to be more, and hopefully by the end of this week, we'll get the Moderna vaccine as well, and that should approximately double uh, the number of doses, you know, available uh, per week. Uh, So, you know, it is starting to roll out, as people have said, this is going to be, we hope this is the beginning of the end, but still only the beginning of the end. It's going to take a while, and that's uh, very important. People still should take precautions until we get to this difficult period right now, and a much larger percentage of the population is able to be vaccinated.
1: Dr. Fauci uh, just now on MSNBC says Americans with no underlying condition should get the vaccines at the end of March or the beginning of April. Again, according to Dr. Fauci, uh, just now on MSNBC. Um, so interesting, uh, Bob, what do we know about the Moderna drug? Again, it, we it looks like they're going to be just a week behind Pfizer, get the approval Thursday, I guess, and then maybe start rolling it out over the weekend like we just saw with Pfizer. Is there any reason to believe that Moderna will run into any roadblocks?
5: No, there are actually no reasons to believe Moderna will run into any roadblocks. It's actually a very similar vaccine to the Pfizer vaccine. Now, they're both based on this messenger RNA technology. It's a new technology that turns out to work, be working very well against the coronavirus. Uh, both of these vaccines have about a 95% efficacy rate. Uh, and so this is very similar. So, you know, unless there's some surprises, yeah, this should should roll out around, start rolling out around, say, Friday, unless there's some showstopper surprise we don't don't know about. And that's that's the very good news. You know, the, the bad news is that both of these because they're a new technology, you know, there isn't the manufacturing experience they have to make this in enormous quantities. And these factories are still kind of just gearing up now. And that's why, you know, at first of the first few months, there's definitely you know going to be a shortage of vaccine to go around.
0: Can you give us some idea of the supply chain and how it works and how, you know, a vaccine gets from a factory to a hospital?
5: Uh, yeah, there's several steps uh, involved and there's uh, distribution hubs. And uh, I know that uh, UPS and FedEx are involved in helping ship uh, the uh, the Pfizer vaccine Uh to to the right places where it's needed. Uh, It's a very complicated supply chain. The U.S. government's monitoring it very closely. Once it gets into individual states and locations, then it's more the responsibility of the local states and and hospital chains to distribute it once they get their allocations. But the U.S. government is kind of setting the allocations for the you know, individual states and territories, and that's kind of the first step. And then, and then in the manufacturing, that's complicated as well because these are injections. So there's a manufacturing of the raw ingredients, the mRNA itself at one factory, but then there's a separate factory uh, that does, you know, puts it in the vials and ensures that it's sterile. So there's several steps there as well. So it's all kind of a very complicated system, uh, made more complicated by the fact that, as everyone's probably heard by now, Pfizer's vaccine needs extreme cold storage requirements. Uh, and that means either... You know, extra ultra cold freezers, special ultra cold freezers, or special dry ice containers that Pfizer has developed for places that don't have those freezers.
1: Hey, Bob, how do we, or how does the, how is it determined how much each state will receive? Is it simply population? Is it infection rates? Do we? Is there a formula?
5: Yeah, I believe uh, that the government. I'm not totally sure. Sure, the government's kind of U.S. government has set that, that that those figures, and I believe it's you know due to you know. It's more in the total population uh, in the groups, uh, in the groups at risk for right. being vaccinated. But I, I don't know the fine details of that.
0: Where are we looking at more lockdowns? Bill de Blasio here in New York, the mayor of the city, talking about the potential for New York City to go into lockdown. Is that happening around the country still?
5: Uh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think what people need to think about is uh, that, yes, these vaccines are starting to roll out. And that's very, very good news. You know, but the fact is we're still, you know, in the the thick of like the worst ways of the pandemic. And these vaccines are not going to impact what's happening right now in terms of infections and deaths, you know, they're not going to have a significant impact on that, you know, on a, on a kind of a broad basis uh, for, for quite, you know, quite a while until so quite a number of people you know, are vaccinated. Obviously they'll, they'll help the people who get the vaccines, yep. but that's just a very small percentage right now. So in terms of the big picture, you know, what we need to do to, to, to control this right now, it's the same things that we, we need to be doing more of it's, you know, avoiding crowded places, wearing masks and all those things. And those are going to need to stay in place for quite some time.
1: Hey, Bob, thanks so much for joining us. As always, we always appreciate your reporting. Bob Langrath, Bloomberg Healthcare Reporter, giving us the latest on the vaccine rollout. Again, we've all probably seen images from this morning, uh, vaccines being uh, given around the country. Day one of vaccines are what is sure to be a long process.
3: Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time.
0: And it is time now to take a look at the credit markets and the, maybe the markets more broadly. Let's bring in Mike Buchanan, Deputy Chief Investment Officer of Western Asset Management. I say the credit markets because they're top of mind today, Mike, what with AMC being in a little bit of trouble. We know that the movie theaters have already tapped all the credit that possibly is available to them, except for private uh, individuals that are looking to do that. And uh, just curious as to where you see the credit markets right now.
4: Well, there's no question, and and by the way, uh, Bonnie and and Paul, thank you for uh, having me on. Um, There's no no question that um, there is still stress in the credit markets. You mentioned AMC. Um, There's a lot of uh, companies, there's a lot of industries uh, that have done pretty much everything they possibly could to survive to this point. Um, Some aren't going to make it, and you actually see that in the default numbers. Um, I think many... Uh, Because the capital markets up so quickly back in late March and early uh, April, uh, some were able to access that rescue financing. And even though they paid dearly for doing that, um, I think it's going to be a wise move on their part and um, will uh, at at least minimize uh, how many of these companies uh, actually had to uh, ultimately restructure or, or file. So, Um, I think the credit markets right now, there's no question that uh, some of the rally that we were expecting to occur in 2021, some of that has been pulled forward into 2020, uh, just with clarity on the vaccine. Um, I think everyone's expecting, as we are, a a bounce in growth, a bounce in earnings. Um, But that being said, I still think the credit markets uh, have room for performance uh, as we move forward over the next few quarters probably going to be more of a focus on income, focus on carry trade versus what we've seen over the last two or three quarters, which has really been you know, about capital appreciation and spread tightening. I think the, the magnitude of that spread tightening is probably behind us, but, but still opportunity um, in fixed income risk, risk sectors uh, broadly and um, in particular in credit. So, Mike, you talked about some of the performance
1: maybe being uh, brought forward a little bit here in 2020. Let's talk about high yield. Is there any value left in high yield? It's amazing to me, you know, how well that market has performed given some of the potential credit risks out there that are are, are quite likely, you know, even going well into 2021.
4: Yeah, it is surprising. I mean, if you just think about where we were uh, in the depths of March and into early April and. You know, now high yield's up over 6% year-to-date. But I would say this, there's a lot of disparity in high yield. Um, If you look at, you know, just even by rating category, double B high quality is is doing very well, you know, up 9.5%. Triple C's, you know, think of the lowest quality within high yield, uh, just up over a little, over 4% year-to-date. And then take that even further, um, by industry, energy is negative still 2% year-to-date. Um, so there is a lot of disparity within the high-yield market. And, yes, we do still think there are opportunity. I think it's, um, you know again, if you go back to late March and early April, it was really just get risk in high-yield. Uh, clearly the downside had overshot, and you just want to capitalize on that trade. I think going forward, you're going to see um, just just a, a lot more uh, disparity, or um, you know, just different markets outperforming and different markets underperforming. So I think it's really going to end up being, you know, you got to pick the right credits, you got to pick the right industries, really focus on bottom-up, disciplined fundamental research. Um, so I, I do think that's there's opportunity there. Um, But again, I don't think it's going to be as obvious. And I think it's going to take a little more work to identify those trades.
0: That said, we're not getting any new stimulus that we know of yet. I mean, maybe it will happen, but we don't know how that will impact businesses. Surely there's going to be another round of bankruptcies, Mike.
4: Um, I I do think, I mean, I don't think there's going to be an elevated spike of bankruptcies. Um, I, I think we know, or at least have a reasonable idea of which companies are on the verge of having to file. Um, if you look at trading levels I think the market does a pretty good job of identifying those credits and they tend to trade at very stressed or distressed prices. Um, I, ol- I think the only way that we would get um, a, sort of a new flare-up if you will or another round of defaults or bankruptcies is if we had disappointment on the vaccine. I think between now and when we expect the vaccine to uh, make its way into the broad population, let's call that maybe over the next two quarters, um, I think the market is, is, is expecting that. I think the liquidity in, on most of the balance sheets of companies that, that are in the high-yield market is sufficient to get to that point. However, again, if we had disappointment, and, um, you know, that vaccine wasn't as successful or the vaccines aren't as successful. And this extends into the latter part of 2021. I do think then, you know, you're, you're, you're going to see some more vulnerabilities. You're going to see some of these at-risk sectors and at-risk companies uh, either have to get another round of secured financing uh, or perhaps, as you alluded to, um, have to, to restructure. But I, I don't think that's in our base case.
1: Hey, Mike, what's uh, what's your thoughts on uh, uh, Janet Yellen as uh, Biden's Treasury secretary uh, nominee?
4: Yeah, I think that was a a wise choice, Um, definitely calming to the markets. Um, You know, you even saw uh, Larry Kudlow comment on that. And, you know, he's one of the few (laughs) from the uh, Trump administration to say anything. But clearly, I mean, Janet Yellen, you know, sensible views on the economy as a former Fed chair. Um, you know, I think there's a certain level of comfort in the market knowing that she understands the cohesion that's necessary between between Fed and, and White House policy. Um, so, I think that was a wise choice, and I think definitely um, was was calming to the markets.
0: So, Mike, what will you be looking at now through year end? Are we going to see this uh, Santa Claus rally continue?
4: Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the new issue volume that um, in, in both the investment grade market and the high yield market, you know, those are two records. There's just an extraordinary amount of new issuance. Um, now, a lot of that was for refinancing, which I think is is a good thing if you're a lender um, and you want to uh, classify new issuance into uh, something that's either bondholder friendly or bondholder not friendly. We'd obviously rather see more friendly purposes, which we would call refinancing is definitely a you know, friend, friendly use of proceeds. Um, but clearly, you're going to see a slowdown in new issue volume over the next couple weeks. Um, money continues to come into these markets. Uh, both investment grade and high yield have seen uh, you know, an extraordinary amount of, of flows into both institutional as well as retail funds. Right. So you know, good technical backdrop from that perspective, more money continuing to come in, uh, you know, m- m- less new issue should result in at least stable spreads and stable right. markets, in my opinion. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for joining
1: us. Uh, we really appreciate your thoughts. Mike Buchanan, Deputy Chief Investment Officer for Western Asset Management, based out in Pasadena, California, uh, really giving us uh, their thoughts on the fixed income markets. Again, new issuance, all time high.
0: Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Bonnie Quinn. I'm on Twitter at Bonnie Quinn.
1: And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha,